1: And now, today's podcast episode. Welcome to the Almost Awakened podcast. I'm one half of your host, Bill. And I'm Mikkel. And we're grateful for the chance to sit down today. Uh, Brad, uh, is it Polos? Poulos. Poulos. Brad Poulos is here with us today. Brad, I'm uh, grateful for the chance to sit down with you. Mikkel and I are are excited about this conversation this morning. Uh, You are expert in the cannabis industry. You've been a spokesman in that industry for a long time and been an advocate uh, for, for all of us kind of opening up and seeing that this, this plant is, is a tool. And uh, I know our audience is excited to hear some of the thoughts that you've got as well. Um, but before we get started, maybe, maybe just introduce yourself just a little bit about yourself and who you are and and maybe how you got into the cannabis industry.
2: Sure. I mean, going really quickly through maybe the first uh, 25 years or so of my career, I was uh, first a techie and worked my way up through sales and marketing at a a satellite company. And then uh, for about 10 years, I ran a wireless company with my brother. And um, that takes me to about 15 years ago. And then I started doing some consulting and also uh, got uh, hooked up with the entrepreneurship department at Ryerson and started teaching there. And it was kind of through that that I got interested in cannabis, although I've really been interested in it, you know, my whole life as a, you know, a casual user, but also a believer that it had medical, medical benefits and, and was being ignored largely by, by the world. Um, Then, you know, fast forward to about 2015 or so, um, it was starting to look like there was a good chance that Justin Trudeau would get elected. And he had stated that he was going to legalize cannabis if elected. Um, In parallel with that, what was happening was the medical regime was starting to really kick up that was when companies like Canopy were starting to go public uh, prior to legalization, even being, I won't say telegraphed, but at least, you know, in any way committed to uh, we were having these public companies, uh, you know, st- starting to evolve. And as an entrepreneurship professor, I just found that fascinating. I, I was kind of looking for a new thing to do. And I actually looked at three areas in 2015. I looked at drones, cannabis, and blockchain, and I, they all had their They all had their benefits and they all had things that I found interesting. But, but cannabis far and away was the one that, that interested me, interested me the most. And it was the only one where Canada was possibly going to have a real structural advantage if we, if we didn't screw it up. So that's why I chose that. And I started writing about it, studying it, doing a bit of consulting, sitting on boards and that sort of thing. And that kind of brings us to now. Oh, actually, I left out a kind of big, big piece. Uh, Two years ago, I also started the Cannabis uh, Education Initiative at Ryerson and uh, I'm the ambassador for cannabis education for our continuing education school.
1: I love it. I'll tell you, I I smoked a lot of pot in high school, and uh, back then, right, you just had to you had to drive somewhere meet a stranger, pass some cash through a car window, uh, he'd hand me a little bag, and and then me and my friends would uh, would would smoke some. And, and, and the other thing too is, we used to call it marijuana, and I know that that label was never. Um, I think. Appreciated as a, as a, as the right term. Somehow we've done it. We've, we've made the move to now getting to, to call it cannabis. Um, I know that advocates for, for cannabis have always kind of pushed for us to, to use a more, I guess, scientific term to it. Right. Um, But marijuana has changed a lot. Cannabis has changed a bunch, right? Like the stuff I used to, to smoke in high school, Suddenly now they've made this stuff potent, they've made it in different forms. This industry mm-hmm. has absolutely transformed in 20 years.
2: Yeah, certainly when when cannabis moved indoors, which is in the 80s and the 90s, that's when uh, growers were able to start really kicking it up in terms of uh the output of the plant. When you grow cannabis outdoors, you're <laughs> well one thing is it can easily get um, fertilized uh, by by pollen in the uh, in the air and once that happens then you're in a little bit of trouble in terms of the output so you really want to try to maintain feminine plants that haven't been pollinated um, so anyway yeah so back in the 80s and the 90s cannabis moved indoors driven primarily by the United States but a little bit here in Canada especially in BC and when you and I were young I'm not sure we're quite the same age but you um, you know, 70s, early 80s, you were looking at, at THC percentages in the kind of single digits. And now you can buy cannabis in the legal market that's been tested at almost 30%. So you're right. It's like night and day. And that's actually, you know, it's good and it's bad. I mean, from a medical point of view, it gives us really strong products that can do their job, but um not everybody should be smoking thirty percent cannabis. In fact, not everybody should be smoking it at all. <laughs> so, there's other ways to, you can consume it that are likely better for your body.
3: What? So, going going more into that, um, what is one of the best ways to get it in if smoking isn't the best?
2: I think it it, it obviously depends on the the need state. So, if um, you're looking for pain, immediate pain. Um, like like relief of pain, you're pretty much stuck to smoking or vaping because that's all we have for rapid onset right now. But very, very soon that will change. There will be products widely available that go under the tongue or in the cheek that will allow you to get pretty much the same onset as you get with uh, smoking or vaping. Um, if you, but if for recreational purposes, and frankly, Uh, edibles are a much better route in many ways, as long as you've got the time, because they can take a little bit longer to, to, to wear off, uh, because you can get a much more sort of, an even, um, effect over a much longer period of time, but you've got to have the time to wait for it to, to kick in, which could be an hour to two hours. And then the effects could last possibly eight to 10. If we're talking about, you know, the, like the, the tail end of it. So. It's not something that you want to do, um, you know. If you have to go out in three or four hours, not recommended.
3: Right. I um I've never used pot before, uh, so this is all kind of new to me. But I have a friend that, whenever they, and it doesn't matter which form they've taken it in, um, smoking it or or an edible, they tend to get a lot of anxiety. Is that like after it starts wearing off? Is that common?
2: Very common, especially mm-hmm. if you take too much. So, um, cannabis is, is actually, it's like so many other drugs, alcohol included, uh, a little bit can be great. Too much can be not. And you know, a little bit of alcohol will make you sleep. Too much alcohol will keep you up. Uh, a little bit of t- cannabis will relieve anxiety. A lot of it will increase it. And there, certainly people that have anxiety disorders are likely contra. I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're likely contraindicated for use of cannabis. Uh, it's just not a not a great idea, uh, although, you know, there are very few contraindications for cannabis. And but for those that don't know what that means, it's it just means the times when it's suggested that you ought not to use cannabis. Um, so one would be if you're pregnant. Another one would be if you have certain uh, psychological disorders. This is just going to make them worse. Tell and you By the, the way, uh, by the way, the, eat, the eating the, or the smoking oh, won't matter. I was just going to say it doesn't actually matter which way you take the cannabis, whether it's some oil in the, under the tongue or you smoke it or you eat a cookie it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the thing with like adult drinks, there's so many cool names, right? There's the industry has done a great job. People mix drinks and they come up with cool names for them. Cannabis even did better than this. I don't know. I'm looking at uh, strains right now. Sour diesel, Maui, Wowie, mm-hmm. Lambs Bread, Durban Poison, Blue Dream, Girl Scout Cookies, uh, yeah. Headband, Bubba Kush. Uh, uh, kind of a kind of a fun thing that I think the cannabis industry has done, which is create all these fun names for these various strains. Maybe mm-hmm. for the uh, person who's just beginning to think about dipping their toes into using cannabis. I we live in Utah, we we can't even legally get access to it anyway. But we're about forty five minutes away from Mesquite, Nevada where they Hmm. have a dispensary. And then, of course, we're two hours from Vegas, where they've got a bunch of them. Um, Maybe tell people a little bit about THC and CBD. And if people are looking for certain kinds of effects, what type of cannabis they would probably lean towards.
2: Sure. So let me, um, I'm going to back up a little bit. So you you brought up the idea of strains, which is, I think it's a great avenue to go down. Um, So theoretically a strain is a relatively sort of constant or uh, predictable cultivar, which is a, you know, a version of a plant um, that has certain chemical and, and also physical characteristics um, and so, you know, in an ideal world, if I got some blue dream, um, you know, and uh, like from one time to another to another, I would have more or less the same. The same effect, just like if I go buy a particular bottle of wine, it'll probably taste more or less the same, you know, from time to time. Unfortunately, in cannabis, that's not even close to true. <laughs> so uh, it's the Wild West in terms of all these strains. Uh, but the, the idea, the theory is that, you know, a certain strain, so Blue Dream or, or Sour Diesel has a certain combination of chemicals, which I'll talk about in a sec. Um, and then would obviously, that would translate to a certain effect on the body. Um, because we don't have the consistency, we can't really count on all of that. So I, I actually suggest people look, instead of the strain, so instead of saying, I'm going to have some sour diesel, or I'm going to have some baba kush, uh, look at the actual chemical components that, you're, that, that you desire. So let's kind of go down that road. You, you mentioned a couple, uh, THC, CBD. So those are what are called cannabinoids. These are chemicals that are produced in plants um, in great abundance in the cannabis plant, but they're also produced in the body. So we have a system in the body called the endocannabinoid system discovered in 1992. This is really new science. We were getting high and didn't know how. (laughs) Now we understand the mechanism. There are two receptors in the body, the CB1 and the CB2 receptor. Uh, those bind to certain cannabinoids and then create certain effects in the body. Um, The primary two cannabinoids, you mentioned them, THC, which is the one that's psychoactive, it gets you high. It also has all kinds of other effects, but that's kind of the primary one that cannabis is known for. And then there's CBD, which has no psychoactive impact at all. Uh, but helps greatly with things like inflammation and anxiety. <laughs> um, it's highly recommended that if you are taking cannabis derived product, so not the actual plant, that you not just have pure THC or pure CBD. Uh, there's this thing called the entourage effect, which basically, you know, is the, the um, well, it's a combination of a bunch of chemicals coming together in your body and creating a certain effect. Um, So, but the thing that we have to understand is uh, there's really only two cannabinoids that get any press, but there are over a hundred of them. There are the, the doctor that I like the most, (laughs) he says there's 144, but there, I mean, I've heard 120, 150. So who knows? Okay. There's a bunch, there's over a hundred, um, CBN, CH, CBG. thcv here this is an interesting one okay if you take thc you'll get hungry if you take thcv which is a like a variant of it it suppresses appetite so when we now the problem is that these these secondary cannabinoids well by that we mean everything except thc and cbd They exist in the plant in really small amounts. So that's the problem is getting them out and getting enough of them to formulate, you know, some kind of a product. Okay, so that's cannabinoids. But then there's a whole other group of chemicals around 400 or so called terpenes. And these are actually the things that give cannabis its taste and smell. And they are believed very much to be also medically important. So it's the combination in these strains, sour diesel or whatever, of both cannabinoids and terpenes that create varying effects in the body. So over time, what's going to happen is the, the science will improve and the consumer information will improve and what we'll be able to do is purchase a brand or or a strain of cannabis uh, by looking at what's in it and saying okay I really want a lot of mercine and I want I don't want any pining because I don't like what that does to me but I really like mercine because that kind of like chills me out um, as we go down the line you know with science we'll have a much better ability I think to craft a a specific experience. And that makes cannabis very interesting because you can't do that with alcohol. It's not like, you know, people say, Oh, I I don't like how I get drunk on tequila, but that's just ridiculous. Okay. I mean, drunk is drunk. (laughs) Um, there's not much difference between vodka or whiskey or tequila or beer or wine, but with cannabis very much so because, uh, like I say, these, these, these different chemicals It's not just one chemical alcohol. There's like five hundred of them that are interacting with uh, with a system in your body, the, the endocannabinoid system.
3: that is really fascinating to me. Um, and and part of it is is because um, I have a friend who is um, almost obsessed with essential oils, and she loves to learn about the chemical constituents in essential oils. and she's mentioned words like terpenes and mm. and all of that before. So knowing that about um, cannabis is really interesting.
2: Yeah, it's also interesting. We haven't known really any of the science for even 30 years. It's less than 30 years that we've known this. The THC was isolated in the 60s, but we didn't understand how it affected the body. Uh, we discovered the CB1 and 2 receptors in the, in the 90s. And I should mention, both of those discoveries and a lot of the really important discoveries in cannabis have occurred in Israel. They are oh. by far and away the world leader in research in this area. Of course, in North America, it's been so difficult to get access to the plant, um, especially for those that wanted to try it on the human body. So if you were a researcher and you were growing cannabis, oh, you could import cannabis to try, you know, your, your little research experiment in your university. But if you wanted to stick this in a human body, it was almost impossible. Uh, hmm. It's pretty much impossible in the United States and almost impossible here in Canada.
3: Interesting. So why Israel? Do they just have way lax regulations? And
2: No. They, no, they have really tight regulations. I actually don't know. I, I, I think it really just comes down to a couple of researchers got interested in this plant back in the 60s and, and started studying it. So
3: That's fascinating.
1: I uh, I wanted to talk for a moment about the different forms that cannabis comes in cuz I think some of this is just kind of a prepper for uh, our listeners. Our listeners are kind of those folks who who look up anything and everything that looks interesting and sounds interesting. They just want to learn. They want to understand different things and 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 have all the information available and educate themselves before they before they dive into something. So, um, you could of course smoke it and you know I've heard it called flower, but it's essentially the buds of the of the cannabis plant. Mm -hmm. Um, I, for instance, have COPD, I have a, I have a breathing issue and, um, I, I, if cannabis became legal in Utah, actually it just did, but once the dispensaries are open and things are going on, um, with the cannabis industry opening up in Utah, I'm scared to death to, to smoke it in that form, um, Mm -hmm. to do it that way, because that seems like it'll be dangerous to, to making my COPD worse. But I've also heard, like as we talked about, there's edibles, um, there's vaping. Um, I know somebody who does something called dabbing where they take like (laughs) the high strength kind of wax of concentrated THC and then heat it up and smoke it that way. Maybe talk for a moment about the pros and cons of the various forms that cannabis comes in.
2: Sure. And we have to remember – so there's two types of users. There are like broadly, and then of course we could have all kinds of subtypes, but medical and recreational. And there are some medical users that because of their use of cannabis over such a long period of time, and because they're using it to try to often, you know, kill pain, they need a lot of it. So for example, dabbing, I do not recommend dabbing. (laughs) All right dabbing is heating up almost pure thc and 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 um sucking it into your lungs i too have copd bill and so i'm not a big believer in smoking or even vaping so which i'll, I'll explain in a second but so uh, what dabbing is you you kind of hit it on the na- on the head what they do is they take the cannabis plant and they they reduce it down to essentially pure thc and then you have a thing called a dab rig which is a kind of a spacey looking thing that heats up the cannabis and then you just essentially suck the, the smoke that comes off it. Um, I wouldn't, I don't actually recommend that. I, I, you know, I've, I've done my fair share of cannabis and I I, I have no desire to dab. I've never tried it, um, you know? So, but that's what it is. However, for a medical user, they need that, They right? They may need that super high amount of can of THC and they need it right now. So kind of the only way to get it. Um then we have smoking flour, which you touched on. Oh, I
1: think everybody's can I stop oh, for Dave. I just Yeah, I just want to ask. So the the friend of mine who dabs, he claims that if if you dab like you're going to be like high as you know, high as possible. Like you're gonna you're gonna be so high compared to like eating an edible or, or and it sounds mm-hmm. like that's what you're confirming as well, that the concentrate is so strong that it's gonna be a much more significant high.
2: Correct. That's absolutely right. And that's why recreational users gotcha. do it. Um, you may also be familiar with the concept of a bong, which is a water pipe essentially. And it's, so it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a, just a, it's got a bowl full of water. There's a thing that comes out that you put the cannabis in, and then there's a long tube that you suck. So what happens is the smoke comes down through the water is cooled and comes up through the bong. Uh, again, it's a really, really strong effect. Um, I've only done it a few times in my life. I don't like it. It's too much. You know, most cannabis users just want to chill. It's like having a glass of wine. I don't, you don't necessarily want to get blottoed. You know, I mean, I I, I drink wine a lot. And I almost, I, I mean, I get drunk every 10 years, maybe by accident. You know, I mean, just because you're an alcohol user doesn't mean you're trying to get drunk. And the same thing is true of cannabis. A lot of people come home from work. They just want to chill. They have one or two puffs off a joint that lasts three days, you know, because they only have a puff or two at a time, but it chills them out. And and frankly, I think that's a really responsible way of using cannabis. Um, getting super high is fine, I guess, if you don't have to do anything. Um, I'm not a believer that anybody, you, me, or the government should regulate anyone else's consciousness. You know, I'm a, I'm a freedom guy, so that's fine uh, to each their own. Anyway, so that's dabbing. Um, then there, we have flour, which you would either smoke in a joint or put in a bong, um, or put in a pipe. And that's pretty much what it is. It's, uh, I can tell you that there's, there is actually no evidence that smoking cannabis causes cancer. It doesn't have anywhere near all these terrible drugs that, um, um, or compounds, you know, that tobacco has. So you, you can really put them in two different categories, but that said, you know, having COPD, I, I just think it's common sense that you just don't smoke it. You find another way to ingest it. So we've got edibles in a, a gazillion forms, right? Any if you can imagine eating it, then you can put cannabis in it. Uh, there are chefs that will teach you how to cook like main dishes. It's not it's not just about confectionery, right? Um, there are chefs that will teach you how to make a stew that has cannabis and get the right amount for your guests, so you don't you know get them blottoed. Um, So but then I think what's interesting is some of the some of the 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 formulations that are coming down the pipe. So there's a company here in Toronto area in Oakville called Rapid Dose Therapeutics, and they've been making these little, you know, a Listerine strip that you put on your tongue, um, you know, instead of a mint. Well, think of those, but they're in a they're in a single package because you don't want them sticking together because it's dosage. Um, but you so a single package, you open it up. It's got a strip just like that goes on the tongue, and um, rapid, relatively rapid onset. So they're experimenting with THC and CBD right now because those are the cannabinoids you can get in abundance. Um, there, there are also sprays that go under the tongue primarily for medical use, but there's no reason you couldn't use it for recreational. Again, much quicker onset. These things just aren't available commercially yet, but really soon. I'd say in the next year. Uh, then there's also drinks. Um, not a category I'm excited about as a professor because I just don't see the business model there. They're, I find them to be too expensive. I, they represent 2% of the market in Colorado where we have the most data. Um, not an important category Uh, here in Canada where we drink a lot of beer, it seems people think that people are going to move from beer over to cannabis drinks, but I just, I can't see that. I, I don't think it'll happen. Um, And then the last, we, we just made these legal here in Canada back in December uh, topical creams. So things that go on your knee or your wrist or that, or maybe for a skin condition, uh, that sort of stuff. And the thing about those is, The chance of you—you would probably have to bathe yourself in it to get high, so you don't have to worry about you know that happening, which is a big concern for medical users that want to work.
3: I have a friend that uses um, a cream for migraine headaches, and so that I was going to ask if there's anything coming, um, like pain patches or um, other ways that you can apply it to help with pain, so it's localized.
2: Yes. Yeah, so that's the idea of the topicals is to make them localized because obviously you ingest, if you ingest it in the mouth or smoke it, it's, it's going to be across the entire body. Yeah. We're, we're just, it's just a bit early for for that. We just don't have really good data. And again, it all goes back to until a year or two ago, you couldn't even study this here in Canada and in the States. Of course it depends on the state. Um, but Yeah. So in the next few years, it's going to really take off. I I think that if we were to have this conversation in say two years, we won't even hardly even be talking about cannabis flower. It's going to be all these formulated products.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, again, for a guy like me who has COPD, if if I was going to take cannabis, I take an edible. It takes, I think, you know, my friends have told me that it takes about an hour or so to kick in and, um, you know, to have an option to not smoke something, but to have it essentially enter your system immediately is kind of a, a cool advancement in, uh, in the technology of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And the other thing is, of course, the, they're working on um, rapid onset is obviously the goal, but also a reasonable offset. So in other words, a reasonable time to the um, to the effects wearing off. And then of course you could always just take more if you need it, but, but to give people more flexibility in their lives so they don't have to put aside a four- or six-hour window. Yeah.
1: I wanted people to see the dab rig, so I'm going to – I just want to oh, add sure. it up here. Just kind of uh, – let's see here. So just for the for the listeners, and if you're watching right now, um, kind of a cool little setup. I, this thing is kind of – looks high-tech. Some kind of blue flame on a – what's that? This is a dab rig.
3: A dab rig. So
1: <laughs> – yeah, yeah. so they put the little wax there where that flame is hitting the other thing and and then you would breathe it in, right?
2: Correct, yes. Yeah, and what goes yeah. in the little cup there is uh, either wax or sh- or shatter, which is almost 100% gotcha. uh, THC.
1: So if you want to blast off, maybe that's the way to do it.
2: But <laughs> well, you could also, you could buy CBD shatter and get a big, huge hit, of CBD, um, which wouldn't get you high, but would, of course, have all those other benefits.
3: I heard somewhere um, that if you take THC just by itself and then Mm -hmm. take the CBD, that oftentimes the CBD will help calm down or, um, in some cases, negate the effect of THC. Is that correct?
2: It's absolutely correct. Yes, they modulate one another. It goes both ways. That's why people that are on CBD. The doctor has them on CBD. He doesn't. He, they don't. Shouldn't be say that. He or she doesn't um, uh, specify just TH, Just CBD. There will be a small amount of THC in there. Not enough to get them high, but enough to 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 kick in that entourage effect.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. Gotcha.
2: Gotcha. Cool.
3: Well, Bill, I was having a hard time waking up this morning. You know how it goes. You stay up too late partying or hanging out with friends.
1: And then you've got to get up early to record a podcast. So what do we do in those instances?
3: And on every other day of the week? Coffee. Red Roca Coffee.
1: It helps you and me as we're awakening in the morning.
3: My favorite brew is Heathens or Good Mojo. And sometimes I like it hot. In the summertime, every once in a while, I'll drink it cold.
1: Red Roca Coffee is a small family-owned business here in the United States.
3: If you need a cup of joe to help you awaken,
1: give Red Roca Coffee a try. We're sure you'll like it. We're sure you'll like it. That's Red Roka, R-O-C-A, coffee.com. When you place your order, put in the code AWAKE.
3: A-W-A-K-E.
1: You'll get a 10% discount and you'll get free shipping on orders over $30. Check out Red Roca Coffee today.
3: Again, Red Roca Coffee.
1: For those times when you need help, awakening. I, um, I'm curious, you know, the argument from critics of cannabis is that we're we're coming up with fake health benefits, and we're essentially just trying to justify um, cannabis so that it becomes legalized all the way, you know, across the country. First, obviously medically, and then right behind medically, it happens recreationally. And we're seeing that happen. Utah just passed legalizing it rec- or uh, medically, medically, and yeah, and 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 here you are. You're in this state that is very much. Um, influenced by a certain religion, right? And yet here it is, it's now medical and it's probably just a matter of time, uh, five or 10 years, whatever it is, before it becomes recreational and is probably gonna be recreational everywhere at some point. With that in mind, like maybe run us through, are there real health benefits? And you're naming some of those already, but are there real health benefits? And what is some of the science saying in terms of things that cannabis actually does uh, help people out with?
2: Okay. So there's, I can divide that into kind of two groups. So there's the things that we know for sure. The things we know for sure is that cannabis is very effective with uh, pain control, uh, managing inflammation, um, managing seizures. Um, So here's an example. There's, there is one drug that is legalized in the United States. That's a cannabis derived. It's called Epidiolex. It's CBD only. And it's in, intended for seizures for children primarily, but there are children. There's a young lady who just died last week no, no last month um, named Charlotte. I forgot her last name. I think it's Fuji Charlotte. There's a actually a product named after her called Charlotte's web. She was having hundreds of seizures a day until starting to take cannabis. And then that, that reduced to a couple, there are dozens of those kind of cases. Um, there's a, there's a version of cannabis, a strain of cannabis here called uh, Zen's garden here by, by here, I mean in Canada and it's named after a young boy named Zen, same thing. So hundreds of seizures down to none, like virtually almost none. So there's that then uh, it, it's helpful for anxiety. It's helpful for headaches. So these are the kind of the, the, um, uh, the symptomatic things that cannabis can help with. But these wonderful doctors in Israel are also starting to discover that cannabis can have curative effects, like actually kill cancer cells in a Petri dish, but kill or reduce or kill them entirely, reduce the numbers, stop their growth, all of those different kind of modalities. Um, the two I'm familiar with are breast and prostate cancer. So there's really good science that, that, that cannabis may actually you know, solve conditions. And that's, that's amazing for me. Cause I will admit, I've said this many times when I, when I kind of entered this industry, when I started looking at it carefully, I was a firm believer that for symptomatic relief, cannabis is that it's real. It's not, there's no, there's no BS behind that. You know, cannabis does help pain. Cannabis does help inflammation. It's kind of, it's hard to argue with that. There's such strong evidence. But I didn't believe for one second that cannabis would ever cure anything. And now I actually believe it might. You know, there's some good, good, good science that says it does. And, you know, just I'm just going to quickly go off to us something that's not cannabis, but I think is really, really fits in that with with this discussion is it has to do with magic mushrooms, psilocybin. So this is the next thing. And uh, it's actually where I'm turning a lot of my attention now because the cannabis industry is not really doing much in Canada right now. Um, And there are lots of studies that show curing. And by curing, what I mean is yesterday, the patient had symptoms of the disease and now they don't, they're just gone. Curing PTSD with one session of using mushrooms, cannabis or psilocybin, uh, magic mushrooms, if, if you're using them recreationally with a therapist. This isn't just go in your room and take some mushrooms and you'll be better. This is guided therapy, but using the psilocybin to take your brain to a different place. It's like a total brain reset. So that's kind of the next thing, but we can move back to cannabis now. (laughs) That's
3: that's fascinating to me. I work in the medical industry, and so I'm always um, trying to stay versed or, or, um, remain knowledgeable. And I've read some stuff, um, that indicates the same thing that psilocybin is been, um, shown to be beneficial for PTSD and other forms of trauma in a mm-hmm. guided therapeutic, um, session. So that that's fascinating.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. So I, uh, what were we, uh, what were we talking about with cannabis though? I've now I forgot. <laughs>
1: Well, that's okay. I, I was just going to ask too, I, I know that when I was doing some uh, research on you, Brad, and trying to kind of figure out what various facets of cannabis you've you've spoken on and some of the things you said, I saw that you gave or you give um, uh, uh, a presentation in the workplace. And I think your, mm. the title of the presentation is Cannabis in the Workplace. And I'm sure. just curious, like, should we all just be smoking pot in the morning before we go to work like that? That sounds like an interesting world. Um, I, I'm curious yeah. what your what your take is there.
2: No, no, not at all. In fact, I mean, OK, I, I you know, I like wine. I, I'll have a vodka here and there. I don't ever do it in the daytime, like while I'm working. And the same thing should be true. That's of a your drinking cabin. problem, right? Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. So, I mean, there's a few ways we can attack this. I mean, obviously, medical users, they, they have to survive while they're working. So, so um, here in Ontario, because uh, this, this stuff goes by provinces in our country, and probably, well, of course, it does by state in yours. Um, so the, the rules in, in Ontario are that uh, if a medical cannabis User needs access to their cannabis in the daytime. The the employer is required to accommodate that. That doesn't mean you have to give them a room to smoke it in. You might have to make them go outside, but you can't prevent it. Uh, but that said, your employer is allowed to require you to not be intoxicated while at work. So you have to manage that. That really, you know, it's a it's kind of a tough balance there. But but that's. That's for you, the user, to do. Um, as far as recreational, there, there's no accommodation required by the, uh, by, by the employer. Um, so when I was giving that talk, it was really around legalization. And all I was doing was going around to employers. And, and at the end of the day, I can boil it down to one sentence. Whatever your cigarette smoking policy is, that should be your cannabis smoking policy. Uh, Because we've, we've harmonized those uh, at the government level in Ontario, wherever you can smoke a cigarette in public, you can smoke cannabis in that same place. And, and, and the prohibitions are the same as well.
1: Are are there a lot more work accidents?
2: (laughs) Not yet. No. (laughs) Okay, good. good. Actually. Okay. So you just hit on something that I think is really important because your question implies that legalizing cannabis Creates new users. And I do not agree with that premise. There's no evidence of that. Um, We have lots of states now to watch in the United States, and we have a year and a half of data in Canada now, perhaps at the at the margin, legalization will create a handful of new users. Or might bring back people that tried it a long time ago and and then went away from it and really weren't interested because it was illegal. But now that it's legal, okay, I'm kind of interested. But I don't think those people are going to become, you know, huge users. The truth is, cannabis use doesn't change when you legalize it. Hmm. It's just who's getting the money. Now it's legal.
3: Go ahead. Yeah, I want to talk about who gets the money, but I have another question for someone who's never used marijuana or cannabis before um, recreationally, what kind of things can they expect to feel or notice or what kind of, what walk me through kind of what happens in the body? Sure.
2: Yeah. So if you're, so I'm going to assume we're talking with THC, so you're going to get somewhat high. Okay. So first of all, you're going to go low and slow. Um, well, actually, no, first of all, <laughs> First of all, you're not gonna smoke it and you're not gonna vape it. You're going to have an edible. That's what I would suggest for someone who's never tried it. And I would su- suggest going low and slow, literally for for yourself. If you've never tried it, I would try one milligram of THC, which is the smallest amount you can buy. And you might not even feel anything that day, but at least you didn't get all hyper and anxious and whatever. And then try two. And you know, if one didn't work, two probably will if you're if you're a newbie. And then what will you feel? It's it, the, especially the edible high is really its what they call a body stone as opposed to a head stone. So when you smoke cannabis, uh, most of the feeling is in the brain, is in the head. So it's, um, you know, you just have a, a feeling of euphoria and uh, well, hopefully <laughs> you might get a feeling of anxiety. It does happen. <laughs> so or paranoia. But hopefully, you'll get a feeling of euphoria and and a little bit of a kind of a feeling of well being in the body. But when you when you ingest cannabis uh, through you know orally, then uh, it's much more of that body effect. So it's kind of just a feeling of a bit of a glow and a feeling of well being and and chillness. You know, for ninety nine point nine percent of the population, it's going to definitely you know cool you down, chill you out. If you if I can't think of a medical term, but um, yeah. So that's, I don't know if that describes it enough, but yeah, that's, that,
1: that's that how answers I would describe my it.
3: Um, and then okay. going back to um, legalization doesn't really change the users, but it changes who gets the money. What do you mean by that?
2: Okay. So before legalization, the only way to get your cannabis is through an illegal dealer or an illegal dispensary, which is obviously hooked up to illegal growers. It's all one ecosystem. There's just different levels of player in it. And, um, none of that money, that's all, that's all in the, you know, the illicit market. I don't like to use the term black market, but just so people know what I mean, there's no taxation that, you know, that employees don't pay unemployment insurance or any of that stuff. So then once you legalize it, well, here in Canada, we, you know, of course we know only only Canada can have a head start in cannabis and screw it up. Right. So. Here, here we have taxation at the manufacturing level. There's an excise tax of a dollar a gram. And then in my province, we have a sales tax of 13%. So that works out to about 23% taxation on the legal stuff and 0% on the illegal, which might explain why a full year and a half into legalization, the legal market enjoys maybe 20% of the market.
3: That's crazy. You.
2: you-
1: you opened your eyes really wide there, Mikkel, at 23%. the amount of tax. Yeah, and and I, and I I've got two people I know that own dispensaries in Vegas, um, and if I'm not mistaken, the tax rate they told me was 20 percent there as well. So it's uh, the government is wow. getting a really nice, pretty chunk of this cash, uh, and which you know, again. Ah, uh, to make it legal and and to go ahead and move along with that. Um, hopefully, they're putting that money to good use. But that's a lot of money.
3: Are there yeah. are there benefits to legalization? Say, does does it test purity? Do people do they have to guarantee mm-hmm. certain standards are met, et cetera, et cetera?
2: That's the argument for legalization. Hmm. So the, the the our government made um, there were eight. So the way we legalized it is we we. Uh, This is how Canada does everything. Uh, We put together a a, a committee, (laughs) right? And so the committee had a mandate to uh, look at cannabis legalization. And they came out with eight recommendations, but they really boil down to two. And so the two recommendations were come up with a framework that will, one, keep cannabis out of the hands of children. And two, get the cannabis dollars out of the hands of organized crime, all right? Now, that's the stated objective, but the real objective is the money. It's billions and billions and billions of dollars of taxation.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's an incentive there for them to to obviously do it. Um, But yet they've been so resistant, right? Like we had this huge drug campaign in the 70s, 80s, 90s, Um, And it's only recently that we've kind of opened back up and we've started to look at cannabis. We've started to look at psychedelic mushrooms like you've spoken of. Um, You know, Mikkel and I have talked before in the podcast about some of the research going on with MDMA or ecstasy. Same kinds of results with therapy, getting rid of PTSD. Um, A lot of these drugs were labeled Schedule 1. Cocaine, for instance, is Schedule 2, which makes no sense to me that these other things are Schedule 1, cocaine, Schedule 2. But we're really beginning to get to a place. And again, I I get it. When we alter our consciousness, we tend to begin to deconstruct systems and to question systems, and we're less likely to just get in line and follow. So I can see why these systems are afraid, or at least have been up till now. But now here we are. We're in this renaissance where we're beginning to look at these drugs again and say, let's Let's be honest about the data. Let's stop making up what these things do to you. I remember um, presentations in my school when I was a kid about the ill effects of LSD and how it would totally screw up your brain and um, how mm. cannabis was going to give you cancer and you were going to have uh, a depreciation uh, and, a, lack, and a, a depreciation of number and effectiveness of sperm, for instance. Um We're finally feel like we're chasing the data and we're allowing the data to sort out whether this stuff is useful or not. Maybe your thoughts on how far we've come with all of this. Not that far. (laughs) (laughs) far I have, I
2: have, I was having a coffee with two friends a couple of years ago and told them I was entering this industry. These are two really, really intelligent people that had no relationship with cannabis ever in their life. And they were, they were shocked. This is still, this is still a problem. And, uh, you know, our minister who is in charge of legalization, who's an ex cop, get that right. Put an ex cop, not a nurse, not a doctor, an ex cop (laughs) in charge of um, legalizing a drug. He said, you know, we're not trying to normalize cannabis. We're just trying to legalize it. And I, so every, every talk I give, I say no. We actually should normalize cannabis. Um, there's let, let's take four drugs, okay? Alcohol, cigarettes, or nicotine, cannabis. Well, let's just take those three, okay? Alcohol, cigarettes, and cannabis. If we just discovered all three today, which ones would be legal? Yeah, it should. Like, be would the would alcohol the be legal? Two should be out. Yeah, it shouldn't it, it, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like my alcohol, but it's poison. Sure. Um I, I wanna I wanna I wanna stress that point, okay? If I drink a bottle of vodka, I'm dead. I'm just dead, right? If I smoke cigarettes, I have a really good chance of developing cancer. In fact, I thank my cigarette smoking for my COPD. Um, I don't smoke cigarettes anymore, but I did until 20 years ago. And you know, thank you very much for that. There is the the there's a thing called the LD50 which is the lethal dose for half of the population. It's how we figure out how lethal something is. You're probably familiar with it, Mikhail. So do you know what the LD50 is for cannabis? You would have to smoke 1,500 pounds in 15 minutes. So it's a theoretical limit. It's not not actually achievable. And the reason is really simple. I mentioned earlier these CB1 and CB2 receptors. The CB2 receptor, oh, I'm not sure which one. One of the two doesn't exist in the brain stem. So wow. it's the brain stem that causes it's the alcohol's effect on the brain stem that causes you to ultimately die if you take too much. It just suppresses everything, suppresses your breathing, your heartbeat, all of that. Well, cannabis doesn't affect that part of the body. It's just it's virtually impossible to die from it. You can overdose in the sense of what I, what I would call an overdose, which just means you've had too much but you can't overdose in the sense of dying from this. This is, this is a non-lethal product.
3: Which is like mind boggling to me that, um, like you said, substances like alcohol, which is super toxic to your body, um, and highly abused, um, cigarettes. And then, I mean, I would throw in pain pills. People talk about pain pills and being on pain pills as if it, if it were nothing. And, and yet here we have this plant medicine that, that, you technically can't really die from and yeah. it's illegal.
2: Thank you for the, 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 this, well, I was going to say it was a segue. Um, to so the point, what was the point you just made though? Sorry. Cause I, I, I was formulating my thought and then Pain I, pills. I lost. Yeah. Right. Okay. The gateway drug. So, People uh, going back to what Bill was saying in our high school education and, you know, the, the, the danger for madness and, Oh, it's a gateway drug. You start taking cannabis and then all of a sudden, Holy smokes. Like by next week, you'll be on heroin. All of that, you know, (laughs) ridiculous, ridiculous dogma. Well, you know what I say? Cannabis is absolutely a gateway drug. It's a gateway off of opioids. There's great, great studies in, in Colorado of opioid use dropping with cannabis use increasing. And wouldn't that be awesome, even if people still have to use some? I'll take it. I have a family member. I'm not going to mention the exact relationship, but I have a family member who has a license to inject herself with morphine. She has pain so bad. so And this is really hard to get in Ontario, but she has it. It's It requires you to sign a contract with your doctor that you will not see another doctor for anything. You know, it's a really, really tight thing. But she has liquid morphine and hypodermic needles, so she can inject herself with morphine. That's how bad the pain is. By, by taking on cannabis, that morphine use has gone way, way down.
1: Yeah, it seems like such a no-brainer if we can get people to move from things that actually are doing damage to their body and have a risk of death to them um, to something that is for the most part, completely safe. Um, I'm curious, my, my last question for you, and and then I'll let Mikkel ask anything she wants to, in terms of concluding, but I'm, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on cannabis as a tool, uh, in terms of changing consciousness. And, um, this is a space that, you know, I've read Michael Pollan's, how to change your mind. Uh, I'm very aware of the research that's out there again on MDMA on psychedelic mushrooms on cannabis, Um, you know, and it seems to do the, those kinds of things seem to do some of the same stuff that say, for instance, meditation does, which is allow you to see the world differently and begin to challenge some of the paradigms and perspectives that we've established over thousands of years as human beings to figure out new and better ways to do things. Your, your thoughts may be, on cannabis as a conscious altering tool that has benefits.
2: Oh sure, and, and in fact, you you may be aware of um, the, you know, the kind of I guess it's a well known fact that if you use a lot of cannabis, it can affect your short term memory. So that's well understood by the medical community, and the mechanism for that is the same mechanism that allows you if you wake up in the morning and let's say you've got to write a term paper wake up and have a little bit of cannabis. That of uh, that that effect that's causing your short-term memory loss, which is essentially, you know, things aren't going into the memory and why is that? Because you 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 create sort of a tunnel vision. You you can really really focus if you have a small amount of cannabis. If you do too much of course, it's it's over. But but uh, so what the reason I bring this up is that a lo- what a lot of people are doing now is microdosing. So they'll take um, so somebody like, you know, a regular user of cannabis, they probably need in the tens of milligrams to feel any kind of effect. And I'm talking about taking like two and a half milligrams in the morning and then maybe another two and a half at lunch. So you don't, you don't actually even know that you're high. You're not high. You're just, you're just slightly, your consciousness is just slightly, consciousness is just slightly altered. And I think, you know, it all has to be studied a lot more, but I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And of yeah, course that's, cool. that's much more, it's much more kind of con- consistent with the idea of, of the workplace.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see if, if the benefits of these are recognized by, you know, our, the various States or Providence's countries as a whole and that we now start to see these things as helping us as a humanity, as a collective race, uh, move forward. I love it. I love it, Brad. Anything from you, Mikael?
3: I'm just fascinated by, um, all of this, um, had no idea that you could microdose cannabis. And so just interesting that, that you can do that. And some of the health benefits, you know, I haven't studied a ton of, um, ton of stuff about cannabis, and so I'm just learning a lot and fascinated about the different strains and the different ways that you can um, get it into your body. And
2: yeah, and this is very much the early days, Mikhail. So, like I yeah. say, we've we've just started really studying it on any you know on any significant level. I know several doctors here in Canada that are working on formulations for cannabis. So, you know, really specific combinations of these, of these drugs to try to achieve certain effects. And, you know, that'll probably start in the medical community, but then it'll ultimately make its way into the recreational. So you'll be able to buy a drink or a chocolate bar or something that, you know, that mirrors that effect. It's going to be a really interesting, you know, next 10 years or so.
3: Yeah. Super interesting. Um, At some point and and maybe, maybe, you can direct uh, me or our listeners um, to some information. I'm particularly interested in learning about the legalization process and um, it seems to be, it seems to be money driven. It's interesting because you talked about it moving from um, illicit, you know, like the, the crime world into a more regulated world, but it just seems like it's moving from one corrupt system to another and,
2: you're absolutely right. And especially if we look at here, the early days, going back, say, five years when I jumped in, so many of the people that were running these public companies were, were like previous stock market promoters. Right. And they they ran mining companies before they ran a cannabis company. And it was absolutely just a total, you know, a total stock play. And that's the that's the shame of it. Uh, and the, actually, the real shame is that the people, unlike in the United States, most of the states that legalize, they do have a process to allow people to move from the illicit market into the legal market. Interesting. We made that almost impossible here. So,
3: it's too bad. Um, because...
2: Yeah, I could do a whole other hour on how we messed up legalization.
3: Hmm. <laughs> I would like to get into that. Um, yeah. Appreciate your time. It, I've learned so much. Just fascinating Thank you. Oh
1: yeah, happy yeah. to uh, no happy to be here. Yeah, I am just curious if people want to know more about what you do, where can where can people find out more about you? Oh uh,
2: I have a website. So just go to the website Brad Poulos, B-R-A-D-P-O-U-L-O-S dot Perfect.
1: I appreciate your time this morning. Um, You know, you gave us an hour and we had a chance to kind of talk about a lot of little issues that are entry kind of entry level kind of questions and answers uh, into the the arena of cannabis and just appreciate your time. And and um, um, just thank you so much, my friend. Oh, it
2: was an absolute pleasure actually talking to to the two of you. And uh, I'd love to come back if you
1: ever want to go deeper into the subject. I'd love it. I love it. We'll keep you we'll keep you on the virtual Rolodex, my friend have a great day and enjoy the, enjoy the grandkid. I've got my first grandson and uh, they're a lot of fun. They sure are. Thank you so much. Take it easy. So Mikkel, Yeah. Cannabis. um, We gotta, we gotta figure out a way to make it legal in Utah and, and we can, you know, we can start off with two and a half milligrams and maybe increase our work productivity.
3: (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Like, it's, we we can't drink at work, you know. Not allowed to no. smoke. Um no, right. in the Mountain's got a pretty strict policy on some of those and so I can't imagine a world where they were are just like, yeah, sure, just go smoke a little. It's going And yeah, like, gonna it, be cool. it Bill, it's hard for me to wrap my head around because I grew up in the same time era as you did. You know, the the commercials that we would see on TV, this is your brain and then crack an egg and this is your brain on drugs. Like it's hard for me to to shift that paradigm and um, not be afraid.
1: Yeah, there there's a couple documentaries. I think one of them's on Netflix right now about psychedelics. But the reality is, and it's kind of hard for us to fully understand this. But the reality is that the government went out of its way to lie about the negative effects of these drugs, so as to scare the hell out of people into using them, and it. It seems it as worked. though somehow it did, and somehow collectively these social systems realize that if people are using conscious altering drugs, they will begin to challenge the status quo and it happened right, like when you look at the seventies and Woodstock and all that went into what those collective movements um contained was this idea of like enough's enough, like we don't need war, we don't need to um to to have government set up in certain ways. People should be free. People should have rights. Um, These are tools. And to some extent, they scare systems to death. Hmm. Um, Most religious systems want you to stay away from these substances because they want to claim a monopoly on a um, unique experience, like a spiritual experience. And, you know, again, having used marijuana in high school – um, very much a cool experience going on in your head when those things occur.
3: Would you I call was it using spiritual? It,
1: um, yeah, but not based on some magic being in the sky. Hmm. But it certainly gives you a chance to kind of see the world in a really new way and to think about things differently. So it's cool that we finally are at a place in 2020 where social systems are beginning to allow the data to determine which direction we go in. Instead it's, of just lying and scaring people.
3: Sure. But I still feel like it's in mostly money driven, even if the data is there.
1: Yeah, but they could have made the money. I mean, they could have made a lot of money 20 years ago and they chose like, ooh, the risk of being challenged is greater than the benefit of making tons of you know cold, hard cash.
3: It's true. It makes me wonder when I was living in Idaho in 2013, there was, um, I pulled up the article because it was, I remember. um, it resulted in oh this is a thousand oh, this is a traffic stop, but there was a in Soda Springs, which is this little tiny town up in Idaho, um set up against the mountains, there was a huge pot farm that was discovered by some people that were like hunting or horseback riding or something way up in the mountains, and it was like Idaho's biggest pot bust like ever. It makes me wonder what happens to all of those seized drugs. Oh, $80.5 million worth of marijuana.
1: I can tell you what would happen if I would have found that field in high school. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um,
1: yeah, it makes over, you wonder, do they just burn it or what?
3: Over 40,000 plants. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's that quite crazy? a seizure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe a few officers stuck a little handful in their pocket. I don't know.
3: Probably
1: um it's just you know it's it's just cool to think about like right? there was there was marijuana, and it was not you know it was strong it, to to me it was strong, you know, at the time, um and to now hear that they're refining this stuff, getting it much more concentrated, especially when they start putting it into edibles or like he was talking about the dabbing, and for this thing to be. So much stronger than you know the stuff I did in high school. And the stuff I did in high school was I had a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It's probably, um
3: probably some other stuff mixed in there, Bill.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe that was the trick. And yeah. that's the other thing, too. There is a benefit to legalizing, which is as you pointed out earlier in the interview, is to control the quality of it so that people can get the same experience time after time rather than hit or miss. Because when people have a hit or miss experience. They tend to take more than they need to the next time because they're not sure if they're going to get a no effect or a lot of effect, and they want to make sure they have a good time. Um, so, and then you, you also reduce and eliminate essentially any chance of contamination. Um, so, so there are some benefits to doing that. This was a fun interview. He was uh, he was really really knowledgeable and um, super well spoken you know, and well spoken. Like, yeah,
3: focused. He didn't get off on a bazillion tangents, um, knew his information. Yeah. He yeah. was a good find.
1: Cool. Cool. I'd love to have um, him again. Yeah. We'll definitely reach out to him again when we cover, cover a cannabis in any way, shape or form. Maybe someday it's legal in Utah. Maybe someday it's perfectly okay for you and I to, to, you know, have, uh, have a little pain in our back or something and get a, get a medical card. And if that's the case, maybe, you know, maybe we're revisiting this and talking about our own personal use of this stuff.
3: Maybe who knows? I hope that's, I never get
1: back you know, pain, though. That's <laughs> so, You know, you just go to the doctor next to the dispensary, and you just tell them your eye hurts or something, and you get a he little card. Eye drops. Yeah, and you're off. And that's oh man, that's the thing too. Like to, for them to be working on taking a, a little strip or putting it's a couple bed. drops under your tongue, and that's ten cool. minutes later, you're you're on your own little quest.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I'm fascinated with. Um, like the, the product development that he talked about that, you know, edibles, he said, take like an hour, two hours before they hit your system. And so to be able to have a formulation that you could spray something or put one of those Listerine things on and have it hit your system in 15 minutes.
1: Yeah. That'd be so cool. there's there's the fun and technology as things get better and better. Um, anything else? Anything else going on in your life? Anything else important? Anything else kind of cool?
3: No, Kelsey's reading um, the Body Keeps Score. Have you read that book?
1: I have not, but I but I've heard of it, and I if I'm not mistaken, it deals with trauma, correct? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So is she liking it?
3: She is loving it, and she pointed some stuff out last night that um, that was interesting. Yeah, we'll have to talk about it later, not on the show.
1: Gotcha. The Body Keeps Score. I'd love to do that. Um, yeah.
3: Other than that, it's just like you know, same old, same old. Watching case numbers increase in Southern Utah like crazy.
1: Yeah. So now we've gone back to less social distancing, less stay at home and numbers are picking up. It's it's and interesting.
3: Scroll- we had a, a meeting at work and um, one of the managers from up North came down for the meeting and he was like, Southern Utah is in its own little world. They just don't think they have to follow the rules. They They do whatever they want. And he's like, I don't get it. Interesting. I went to
1: get my hair cut yesterday and I walk in, I don't have a mask on shame on me. And a lady there has a mask and she says, do you have a mask? And I said, no. And I said, do you require it? She goes, yes. So I went home and I got a mask, but we've got several at home. And, um, but then I went back, and both of the workers cover their face, but they didn't have their nose covered, right? Because it's hard to breathe if you cover up your entire face. But what you don't realize, it's like taking a condom to an orgy but leaving it on the end table, right? <laughs> so so the idea is that you're putting a mask on to follow the rules, but you're cover- not covering your nose. So you're really, you know, yeah, okay, if you cough, it's covering your face, your mouth, great. Gosh. Ish. But if you sneeze or you're breathing through your nose, you're still sending particulate. In other words, don't chew me out for not bringing my mask to get my hair cut when you're not really doing it either. Like, right. fine, I'll just put my mask, you know, on my back and we'll just cut my hair and move along. Like, I don't, right. I don't know, whatever.
3: It's, it's funny because I I worked in surgery and so we had to wear masks and goggles and you know hairnet, whole nine yards, gowns, gloves, everything. And you just you, you the more you do it, it gets easier to adjust to, and so it. I just think it's funny that people are just in an outroar about having to wear a mask when they go to the store or like, to the doctor's office or whatever. It's not you're just you're gonna be fine.
1: Yeah, um, I'm a little only because I got COPD. I think most people can handle well, it great. Sure, but I'm worried about CO, I'm worried about the carbon dioxide that I'm I'm breathing I in a heavier amount of CO. You know, just. It off your nose <laughs> which is what everybody's doing anyway. Um, it is interesting yeah, to like- work at the pawn shop. People get right in your face. They have a mask on, so they're protecting themselves, trying to protect you kind of, and then they get right in your face to talk to you. It just whatever. Yeah. Personal space people.
3: So other than that, like
0: Nothing's new. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit no spirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartley.